you believers. Hey, you believers. Hey, you non-believers who haven't left. I know there's a, uh, a few of you out there. Welcome to Leading Hillsong. It's so great that you're back for part two of Keep Moving Forward. My name's Tanya and I am so happy that you're here. You decided to tune in and listen in to our conversation. And Helen was saying before that it's like, you know, it's like we're sitting at a bar or something. Mm -hmm. Now, last we left off with your classic Leaving Hill song, Cliffhanger. And Hel had been in Hillsong at college 2005-2006 when due to an increasing depression, his attendance just dropped right below what was expected in order for him to maintain his visa. He had come out from Puerto Rico for this very special college situation. And we're going to pick up from there. I just wanted to let you know I... Uh, done something a little bit different this time. There's a few swear words in this episode. And so what I've done this time is we're going to have just the, the same episodes and I'm going to call one edited, one unedited. So before you progress, check which version you're listening to. It's a funny thing, the old language, like I'm not particularly attached. I just want people to speak freely. But, uh, you know, I grew up in one of those households where, you know, they'd be happy to watch those like super violent movies. My parents are fine with that. People getting shot and thrown under trucks and all kinds of stuff and whatever. But they mustn't swear. So we're all about options here at Leaving Hillsong. Here's some options. This is part two of Keep Moving Forward. Have you got your snacks ready? Because this is a good fun chat and there's a lot of great concepts come up throughout this conversation. I love this approach. Welcome to Keep Moving Forward part two with Angel Juarez. Rightfully, I mean, in, in, in regards to my attendance, I was not meeting my quota in the attendance. So then, and because this, I wasn't making, we're my, still in the first year here. Where this where was we? this is 2006. Sorry, so I started. Okay, I started summer 2005. So I would say around Easter time of 2006, uh, this was kind of starting to come up. Like as in, like as in, now you have to go to immigration and go to a, go to an appointment to see what can be done because we have to send in these reports, and in the reports it shows that your attendance is not up to par. And we're going to drive you there and send a support person with you? No, no, no. Yeah, I went, I went on my own. I had an appointment. I went on my own. I, I had a friend of mine that went with me. And it's funny because she came into the appointment with me. Like she was kind of like my wife or something. This is a, Elena. Shout out to Elena. She is my New Yorkian friend. And she was a, 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 a balsam, a, a well of living water for me. And I really, like my, she was like my sister. And we're still really good friends, but she went to the appointment with me and she sat through the appointment with me, uh, all the protocol of that meeting that lasted probably maybe 25 minutes, but it felt longer <laughs> until they finally delivered the news that they were going to cancel my visa. Oh, okay. And I mean, that's when. Argue, like, had you argued to stay? 
it, I was trying to plead my case. I was like, right. but they they said, um, no, we don't find our fit. And after that, you know, they did lay out the option. So you have the option of actually appealing this, okay? This is going to consume oh. some money, but you have the option even to appeal this, these funds that you got to lay down. Anyways, at that point, I knew those procedures and I had like a week to kind of put it together. But I left that meeting kind of feeling all zombie-ish and, you know, how do I tell my parents that I'm going to kick that hill song and not only get it, not only hill song, but getting kicked out of the whole content. <laughs> it's, yeah, like it's, it was tough for this 22 year old to, to be like, and, and how did you do it? How did you do it? I'm feeling overwhelmed. Like my visa just got canceled while you're talking. Like it's a lot at once. That's school, emotion. that's you, that's what do you tell the church at home? Like, yeah. And, and I was, and I was on my own. I was on, mm. oh, like your son did. I stopped existing. I stopped existing. And, um, it was like no longer. What, what do you problem. mean? What do you mean you stopped? Existing? Like, because I was, I would, I would, I would go to church every so often and I didn't get acknowledged. Like they would see me and it was like, I was literally, literally the, the, the treatment changed. The treatment to like with people like Lee Burns and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I knew there, like I was literally, Riddle. literally on my own, on my own, and uh, and with my housemate. I mean, my that housemate I told you about that we're really good friends. He was a great support. He was great how, support. How long did they give you before you got to go? Yeah, and I think I like a month. Did they do they pay for you to like? I don't remember. Like, I, I don't remember all those <laughs> things, but I know that there are some. I know that there's some auxiliary measures if you have any kind of yeah, yeah. thing. But they did lay out, these are the options you have. You can appeal. So what I did was, you know what? I'm not ready to leave. Even if I'm going to get kicked out of Hillsong, I want to stay here. So I appealed. And then I also appealed to the fees that I had to pay because I didn't have the money. So I appealed. I submitted all right. documents. It was an amount of money, like close to two grand. I did not have. And it would be, and it would be returned, refunded back to you if you won the case. So I appealed all those funds. and. Sure enough, within a few days, they granted my appeal. I didn't have to pay anything. And then they were going to start an investigation. Oh. So. Into, an investigation into what? Sorry. As in, as in, if there is like, is there, is, is this decision that we're going to make, um, solid? Is this like, okay. does it make sense? I want to kick you out of the country. So basically you're not processing. I'm going to submit documents. I'm going to submit my case. I'm going to submit my argument. And I had some friends helping me out. I had some friends helping me out to make up, to, 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 to solidify my case about my depression and all these things. So what happens then is they rip up my visa and they give me a new provisional visa that has mm -hmm. no expiry date until, wow. it, until it is result. So that was really cool and interesting because I was supposed to leave Australia maybe within a few weeks and I was still there. I was still there. I was still there. Months passed by and I could see when people saw me there. What's he still doing here? And I was able to, to stay probably, I was meant to leave in, like my original visa would have expired in August and I ended up staying till November out of my own decision. Decision had not been solved yet. And during that time, a lot happened. Like from like March, April, May, June, July until November. And that's when a lot of deconstruction happened for me. Okay. Okay. And that was there in Hillsong. All right. Walk us through that. So 
even before I got kicked out, I was I, I was becoming a little bit restless with the the predictability of the services. Um, I was one to welcome the spontaneity or everything, and I and I soon became aware that this spontaneity that the service gave the impression of it was just an impression. You know, you had the lights, you had the songs, you had but everything was so very well timed. The music, the time when the person would come in to to talk about the offerings, when they would come in to introduce the preacher, and soon enough, I was like, "This is going to happen now. This is going to happen now. This is going to happen now," and it just seems so well. It seems like a well-oiled machine, but it's not meant to be a machine. It's meant to be this organic free flow of the spirit no that god is going to move and flow as but i was like now people are gonna now they, the young people are gonna go up front they're gonna do this little pseudo mush pit jump up and down sing these rock and roll songs and then and soon enough i started becoming weary of it i'm like this doesn't make any sense this music doesn't make any sense i started wondering like, why does God need his music? Why does God need us to be singing these songs? Like, is he sitting somewhere, fanning himself and just kind of eating some elitist grapes or something? I, I was seriously asking myself these questions because it stopped making sense to me. I literally started having this instant crisis. How is this? How, how is this God? And if this is God, wow. This is like, so we have to do concerts every Sunday and God is, meanwhile, there's like world starvation, places don't have clean water, but God has time to, to, to mm. every nine o'clock in the morning, enjoy these concerts that we all mm. So I was making these questions on my own, on my own, mm. on my own, on my own. And during that time also, I was, I was listening to things. I was listening to, I don't know, back then they were called podcasts, but I was listening to MP3s of of a good friend of mine, Jay Baker. I don't know if you know Jay Baker. So Jay is the son of Jim and Tommy Faye Baker of uh, the 80s televangelist. Yeah. 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 I know that. Wow. So so back then he had a church in a, in a bar and he had just become gay affirming. And during that time, I I was plugged in and I remember listening to his message and that that just shook me i'm like no way what is the gay thing okay like and i start problematizing it problematizing and i couldn't stop talking about it i talk talk about it with some friends of mine and they're like angels going on and it's going down slippery slope but that was because it's because i'm like there's something here there's something here you know we talk about god's laws there's something here so there if there if there is such a thing as god's love so god loves my gay cousin God loves, like, love, like, love, not, like, waiting for some love. That's also happening alongside the thing I was telling you about, like, starting problems. So all these things are happening at the same time. I no longer, I'm no longer Hillsong College, so I don't need to, I don't owe them anything. Where did you live? How did you find somewhere to live and eat and stuff? See, what? so then what happened is I moved. I moved to, uh, 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 um, I was part of a Latino connect group in, in Hillsong. So I moved to in with one of the uh, connect group members Good. And, uh, to his house. So he had me wrecked a room. So his family took me in. So that was 
definitely a, a huge blessing when I was there. So I, I had nothing to do with the, 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 the college anymore. I would attend Hillsong every now and then. I first stopped attending the music part. I just couldn't do it. I was more interested in what they had to speak. And then I just stopped attending altogether. It just, mm-hmm. yeah, I was mm-hmm. like, God, like everything, just like the, the triumphalist dynamics, the triumphalist, the rhetoric of, of everyone, of every preacher. Like it's always very triumphal. Oh, the best is yet to come. What is, what does that word mean? Sorry. Back yeah. then, back then it was, it was just, the, it was just Brian's slogan. The best is yet to come. And the best no, is I mean yet the to come. Triumph, what's triumph? Oh, oh, like, oh, the triumphalist, like, like the, like the, like the, the, uh, like a fairy tale, happily ever after. Okay. And there was always this triumphant, like we are going to like, we're in victory. And then, and I felt like there wasn't space to, to, to be defeated. It was, there wasn't space to lose, to be like, I don't feel fucking good right now. And I feel like, like, I, I feel like shit. And I don't feel like hearing someone say like, it's all going to work out. I just feel like maybe just being silent, but no, it's always like this just bubble gummy cliche it's all gonna work out and that stopped maybe i didn't have words to describe i didn't have the word triumphalist but but i it didn't resonate with me i'm like i can't be real i can't i can't expose how i'm really feeling because i'll get diagnosed or something and and i'll get prayed over and and then prayed p-r-a-y-e-d and p-r-e-y-e-d yeah yeah i got you're not even allowed to just have an ordinary, not so great day or life. I regular. It was hard. It was hard to have come. It was. I started feeling like I, looking back on it, like I was in a sect, a cult. Why would you say that? Because the people that were in it, you couldn't have an honest conversation about how you're feeling. They'll they'll automatically try to change it, fix it. Like, oh, have you looked at it from this perspective? It's always to the perspective that is convenient to that side. Oh. And then I just started, I stopped having conversations with, with these people. I'm like, I can't, this is not a safe space. So I had my friend Elena and, and, my, and my housemate Lance, who's shout out to Lance. He was still there, but I could talk to him very real. And, 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 and I trust him. I still to the day. And he's still, I think he's probably still there, which is a rare thing. A rare thing to encounter. More and more so, yes. Sports, sports, sports. So all, all throughout that time, some of the very early, let's put it this way, some of the early tiling on my floor was getting planted of what would be a constant live of problematizing and not on a capricious nature, but out of a bit of a non-conformist nature. Like, this shouldn't be this way. This shouldn't be this way. Little did I know that I was developing some groundwork for my for what I would become, which is a teacher. Uh, tell me that link. How does that work? I think that later on, which is just some years later, I want I wanted to be in a space where students could come up to the teacher and really expose their doubts and really expose their their problem expose what what they don't get about the classic we're talking about the academic ex, um, elements of it but just really without any fear of being scorned of being tired of being like oh you're gonna ask me 20, 27 questions again about the same thing no but that they can truly really come to and i had this 
longing. Then when I came back from Puerto Rico, eventually I decided to go back to university and pursue my teaching career. Okay. I mean, and to know that that kind of a place exists, that it's possible that you can apply it to other arenas. It, I think that's behind so much of what a lot of us do, because once you get that liberty, that freedom of thought, freedom of speech kind yeah. of, you know, and uh, we're all at different places, I think, along the spectrum, because we're all still worried about who you know what your mother might think or your cousin or your best friend or your your boss obviously you know but it's it's a liberty you'd kind of never trade in again and you can't and I, and that's why i think a lot of this leaving stuff is actually a message of hope like it's a it's a happy ending it's in a lot of ways i don't know it is a kind of a intellectually happy ever after or some like something it's like, a, not, you know. yeah it's an emancipation proclamation it's like you yeah, are yeah. You, like you you're you're you experience it for the first time like you're you're realizing for the first time or fully realizing that you're a bird in a cage that you're now out of the cage and that you realize you have wings and you can yeah. put them to use yeah. because in these spaces they to follow that analogy but there's almost a suggestion like oh you know you don't need your wings. You know, wings are to be used if you are afraid or if you need to escape. But if you're safe, then you don't need to flap your wings. But either way, I think that, and I think that's the, that's the pedagogical role of a teacher, not to try to manipulate, even if one wants to stray that student or that pupil to a certain direction, but to allow the pupil that, hey, yes, you have this and you can use it for this or for that. You know, the power is in your heart to trust. And I was talking about this to, to, to my friend, to trust the process. But trusting the process is a process in your to get to that point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not, it's, not, it's not easy. But leaving, using, following the, you know, the, the very thematic theme, sorry for the redundance of this book, because like leaving, in the, in the leaving, in the leaving, there's a rupture. In the leaving, there's, there's, of course, freedom, but there is the hardship of now going into that which is probably unknown. And that uncertainty could be very, very fear-binding or it could be very scary. You know? But at the end, I think, at least for my own testimony, or my own testimony, like my own ongoing testimony, because uncertainty is the certainty of life. Uncertainty is the certainty yeah, yeah. of life. Yeah. Is that is it's so liberating to to walk out of that and to fully ask questions to not have this fear of a shoe trying to drop on you. And to just and for me it was liberating to just be like, which happened eventually down the road. Like, I don't wanna be a fucking Christian anymore. Like I don't think oh, I wanna be oh. a fucking Christian anymore. And this happened late years later as I was already deconstructed. I was very like, I was reaffirming. I was, but I was, I was going to this Catholic church back home here. I love the priest. He's a very anti-colonialist priest. Always talking yeah. about the independence of Puerto Rico. And I love the service of the community. But one day I just went, I was like, this whole Eucharist thing doesn't make any sense to me. The whole narrative, Jesus dying for my sins. And I, 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 I literally had this like hyperventilating crisis. I'm like, this is so fucked up. I had to leave the mass and I left the mass and went home. And I'm like, 
as I tell you, I'm like, I can't be a Christian anymore. I can't believe in a God that that needs to sacrifice to forgive when we are told the opposite. We're not told, hey, by the way, make a barter so you can forgive another person. We're just, no, we're told to forgive, to forgive. And I felt like, how is God doing a barter to forgive? It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, like, that's what so <laughs> So that for for God to forgive, so then He has to kind of make up this thing, and then and then Jesus has to be the substitutionary. Of course, this is all theological premise that was created later on. This is a whole explanation to this. But when you look on it, the only way that this has any sense is within a Jewish scope of symbolic elements that come together. Uh And if you want to embrace it in a symbolic way, it's beautiful. You can embrace it in a symbolic way. But this is not what it's being preached. It's being preached in this substitutionary method. And Jesus was a substitution for us. And that is no, that makes no fucking sense. It is the most morbid approach to love. How do you relate with your partner? Like in such a way. And like, so I'm going to make this really intense sacrifice to, to solidify our love. But, but like in some kind of macabre, like some morbid kind of way. And, and then there's this thing from one or the other. That to me seems the most distant thing from love, from just being, just being at rest and just being still. And it seems like more like anxiety promoting. Like, yeah, we're going to kill you. And then after we kill you, then there's going to be this thing and all these magical potions coming together. So this is going to create a lot. So anyways, this just means exactly. But then I, I'm like, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I said that day, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. So I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm at, but I don't want to be a Christian anymore. This is like, maybe like, maybe like what, uh, 11 years ago. Fast forward to a couple of months ago, a year ago, I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to be a Christian again. Really? Um, and, wow. and, 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 and that decision came upon the fact that I knew that, that it re-embraced Christianity had to do with, with the teachings of Jesus solely. Not the esoteric, magical stuff that I don't have any desire to embrace or to 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 go into that mystical level i don't care i was embracing in that moment the moral aspect of it the moral aspect of of forgiveness of love but also very well this very well linked with my atheism and my agnosticism so if people ask me oh yeah you know a christian atheist and agnostic um and that leads into a really good conversation but, oh, but it's not something I'm dying for. Like if someone asks me and some of you comes up with knowing that I'm not a Christian, I don't, I'm not going to argue saying, no, I'm really a Christian. I don't care because just so young I'm on hell and I'm just, try, I'm trying to learn every day and trying to be present. And that's something close friends of mine know I'm trying to. Like the other day when I, like I was telling you, I, I ran into Naomi. I hadn't seen her in over five, 10 years. A person there, and I'm not going to church in a long time. So they did this moment where people are praying for each other. So the lady behind me is like, Can I pray for you? I'm like, Okay. Um, and he's like, What do you want me to pray for? I'm like, I want to be more present. I'm going to be more present. And that was my prayer request. She never mentioned it once in her prayer request because it was just like the like pamphlet prayer. I don't know. But I can be in those settings and I can be okay. I'm not going to be jumping up and down. But where I'm at right now, like, I'm, I'm, a, 
I'm at a much peaceful place to to understand that there's people navigating in that realm of church, of charismatic churches, and maybe that's good for them. And I'm not going to to trivialize their walk. You know, I'm not going to be trying to deconvert them. If a conversation is hard and they allow me to be open, but I'm not going to try to reach in to be like, so the outcome of this conversation is hopefully this or that. I, if they're doing great in life and happy, then I'll rejoice in that. I'll be like, I'm so glad. Are you, are you good with your family? Are you good with your neighbors? Are you good with yourself? And it's great. And you do sing hallelujah every single often in church. Great. And that helps you. Yep. Great. Yep. You know, so that's, that's where I'm at. I'm trying to just work on this. Yeah, I think the early atheism was so important. And by early, I mean, you know, the 2000s and stuff when the great four horsemen of, you know, the, the white men of the establishment took swings at the columns of my metaphors. But I think it needed... This is just me. I think it needed to be very fundamentalist. No one was going to listen if it hadn't come out of incredibly privileged, white, educated men's mouths. Um, and it was very extreme back then. And it's, it, 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 I mean, you then automatically, you know, you get human results. So you, you find out that the atheists are just as human as the other group in have power problems and, and, you know, personality problems, blah, blah, blah. And that there's really awful, you know, people outside of the church and there's actually some great people. To... So I'm trying to think of the, the phrase I heard the other day where the woman said, we need to extract the benefits of what we learned. So singing in groups is, is a great thing, mm-hmm. you know, all these various things that were beneficial, but outside of that context would be you know, great. Anyway, what, what's the, where do you kind of draw the line? So now you've made a decision to become a Christian, but you don't want to go in for the blood and the gore and the sacrifice there. What are yeah. you, what's the difference between you and the next average? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I understand you perfectly. I mean, I'm just shooting the breeze. You don't no, 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 that's super justify your position to me. No, no, no. This is a great interesting, question. Great question. Because it's much more I, inclusive and it just does not serve us well to the superiority of the kind of yeah. atheist agnostic kind of people, like the ha-ha, yeah. ha-ha Christians. Yeah. Ha-ha. The, the condescendants. Yeah, it isn't, it's not useful. Yeah. It's not helpful. And I don't no. want to be involved with that. It's not a competition um, yeah. of, yeah. you know, who's the cleverest and ha-ha, gotcha. And I yeah. think that's a, I think it was a very unsustainable place to be is like, like I share this with, with friends about my former sarcastic ways. Like I used to mm-hmm. bathe in sarcasm. I used to breakfast, lunch and dinner sarcasm and gradually throughout, throughout my voyage and, 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 and walk, I realized how much of a projection that was and how much I was not allowing myself to listen. I always had to have the cleverest comment, the funniest thing. And lately, as I'm pilgrimaging now or just in my relationship, I'm trying to listen closely. I'm trying to ask questions. I'm trying to be the person that I would like others to be with me. And how do I tie this semantic with Christianity? To me, it's to me, to be frank and honest, and this might sound like 
Okay, so it's really just a bit of a gimmick. No, I think for me, it's like a bit of semantic. I think for me, it's a bit of semantic. Like in, in terms of, uh, and when I say semantic, is like, because at the end, I don't care if a person says, well, after this conversation we had, I draw the conclusion that you're really not a Christian. I'm like, okay, I mean, I really don't care. Or I'll really draw the conclusion that I, you are a Christian. I don't care. So I, I, I embrace that realm of Christianity, even though I feel very uncomfortable at times. But I'm like, I'm not going to be switching back and forth. So I'm just let's stick with it. Little bit of a joke. But seriously, I think it's because I don't want just to be subjected to however some person is going to hijack that definition. Because there's so many Christianities. That's the fact of the matter. There's so many Christianities. Right. Even in right. one church. In what? one church, you're going to see so many different Christianities. Different gods. Different perspectives. Yes. God, like God is... Like we, we we can never. And it was I think it's I think it's Peter Rollins. I don't know if you've heard read from Peter Rollins. He's this Irish philosopher and, and um, he writes books. And he says we can never we can never question God. He's like okay, what do you mean? We can only question our narratives of God mm. because that's all that that's all that we have. Yeah, we have yeah. narratives of God and. And then we can also we tell what we just kind of say that with people, but because at the substance level, you, you can't contain the person. You have your 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 the, the process of getting to know that person, and you can kind of describe that person. But that that all knowingness is impossible. So I guess that at the very least could put a person in the humility place of being like, you know what? All I know is that I know nothing. And if more yeah, people yeah. have that attitude, mm-hmm. but my, to more bring that 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 answer to to a conclusion. I, I think for me, it's just a conversation piece. Like, I'm like, if it so happens, I don't push it. I don't have a batter talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just interesting it with identities and, and what's important to people to actually call themselves as, as opposed to just say, yeah, I dabble in a bit of this or that, or I like uh, it culturally or my family. It's, do you know what I mean? People do things. Well, well, and it's really- also the fact that also the fact that most of my family are Christian. So I'm a Christian too. Okay. So let's talk about the contrast. Let's talk about the contrast and you'll see, I hold quite proudly the fact that there are going to be contrasts. Like I am a member, I mean, via online, you know, of the satanic temple. So like, <laughs> um, or of the flying spaghetti monsters. So it's like, to me, it's not something that it's, it, for one, it's not something I do on Sunday morning. I realized I don't attend any church. If someone were to invite me, I would gladly mm-hmm. go. I have no problem. But I do. If someone asks me, are you Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Okay. If that's the end of the conversation, that's fine. I don't feel I need to explain. I don't care if that person put me in the category of the most homophobic person. I don't care if the conversation is high. I'll gladly, I'll gladly have it. You know? It, okay. So it sounds like it's about the values, not the plot of the story. Yeah. yeah. There's many plots. Yeah. There's many plots. Mm. And I still find relevance in the story of Jesus, but I don't need to place his story above any other story because I think it's about the myth. And when I talk about myth, I was talking to a friend of mine about this and that we all have myths. I think the approach to the myth, as I approach it, is not a negative approach. It's the story of the story, you know, like the myth that we tell ourselves, like the story that I tell myself about myself. And again, I'm approaching this term with grace, like what is the story that Anhit tells about himself? We all need myths. The story that we tell ourselves about how we face a day, 
how we look at the sky and makes mm-hmm. it how we yeah. uh, look at the elevator conversation in my building with the old lady that started telling this story and you create meaning. I don't think there's like this objective 100% truth thing. There's just how you, how you engage with it, how that soaks you up and affects your day. And that's the beauty of, of the myth. And I think we're all myth creating beings because we all need the myth. So the Jesus myth for me, and I'm not here discussing if it's factuality or not, but the construction of the story makes, I hold meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Just like I hold with, mm-hmm. with, with my experiences with my grandfather. And it has the equal amount of meaning. Yeah, I right? can't measure these things. How did your family react when you went, I don't want to be a Christian anymore? How did they go with that? Oh, my family had been over. Like at that point, it was like they were, I've always been very vocal about my processes. So that was the point I, I kind of spoke it upon myself. It was more a thing I spoke about myself and I had a blog that time and I wrote about it. But my family, I mean, at that time I was going to the Catholic church and they were going to the Protestant yeah. church. So, you know, and they're very, they, my parents have always been very respectful when you're in my family. As, as I look back on everything, they have equally progressed with, with all the issues, with the gay issue, with the fact that we don't need to be Christian. They're very clear on that. They're very clear on, on my dad was a pastor. He's very clear on the fact that everyone does not need to be a Christian to, to have a legitimate relationship with his, his or her spirituality. And I know that came with many conversations that were not easy. Yeah. You know, so that, that is also, uh, and a, a general way of observing kind of my, like my, the, the life I've had so far was I've been very lucky. Because not everyone has these relationships with their, with their mom and dad. You know, yeah, so. sounds, and and for a pastor's kid, it sounds very progressive and not in a, like a bad way, but it, like that it evolves and adapts, and that's the most you can hope for in relationships, really. I guess, isn't it? That you know, change comes along. Now you Boy. went back to university as soon as you hit the soil again. Yeah. 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 After I traveled some time, I lived in New York. Again, I, I, I left Australia. I, didn't, I wasn't ready to come back here. So I went to New York. That's when I went to my now friend, Jay Baker's church in a bar. I mean, uh-huh. there was tra- transgender people there, atheist people there. And that was, a, that was a, a bit of a contrast from Hillside. I mean, number wise, it was a small bar and just uh, the approach. There was no music. It was more of a dialogue. And that's, that also continued my, I don't know if I can use this word, but like the sense sensationalization mm-hmm. of everything, of the church experience, because it was just sitting down and conversing, sitting down and having a dialogue. And, and that's something, if I go back on my time at Hillsong, many churches, because it's formatting like 98% of the churches, there is no space for a real dialogue. Preaching is not dialogue. So church yep. culture yep. has a, a one-way-ish approach. Yep, totally. That's, that's it's that's why it's so hard for people who are parishioners in this space to have challenging conversations and to let go of the grip of the conversation because evangelism, which is usually the main premise of why they go out, is to be in control. I got the answer is no, it's at best to give the illusion that I'm here to converse. No, it's basically the tenets of colonization. Evangelism, evangelism is basically holding to the very core tenets of colonization. I'm here to tell you what's good for you. 
I'm here to let you know that you're wrong. I'm here to defend you from all the bad people are going to come. That's colonization. Speaking in terms of Hillsong and how Hillsong has progressed from that time to now, it's the perfect example. I go to different cities. I don't really make solid relationship with the churches that have been here for years. I come with my brand and my brand is going to show the other brands how it's much better. It's colonization 101. You know, yeah. and when you're acting on the opposite of that, that is such a beautiful place to be in because you open up your ears and you're not there to, you're not there to fix. There's a, there was the, the was that, that book, the Blue Light Jazz book from Donald Miller. And there's this scene in the movie, and it was also a book that said the beautiful thing about jazz is that it doesn't, I might be paraphrasing it, but it doesn't seem to resolve. Jazz is not there to resolve. It's like it's a journey. Mm -hmm. So if more of the religious world was like that, oh my God, it would be such a different picture. Maybe churches would be smaller because there'd be less recruits, but it would be safer space. I don't know if that was the question that you asked. No, I love it. I just love it. It's just all so valid and so good. So, but tell me about becoming a teacher. Glad, and that was your question. So, yeah. So, in 2011, I okay. I, I seek the. Uh, this was literally 10 years after I had just 2001. I I started my first run of university, mm -hmm. and then 2005 I go to Australia. So in 2011, so 10 years after my first university journey, I go back. So I'm like usually the oldest kid in the the classroom, and that 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 gave me a sense of pride. You know, like the oldest one. And, but I've always been kind of part of the flock of the youngsters. Like people, they, every time I tell them I'm 40, they like, show me your ID. You're not 40. And it's just the demeanor of the way I dress. I think it's part of it. But that going back to university at that level of that my frame had been, had traveled a bit. It was so different than my first time around. Okay. And my, my relationship with my, my relationship with my professors was such a, it was more intentional. Yeah. Like I would stay overlapping after my classes, just talking with them. It was different than when I was 18. Yeah, the mature age student, you know, that one, like, I got one more question and stuff. Yeah. It was like, come on, man. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let the, 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 the teacher or the professor dismiss the class and you do whatever the hell you want. Little by little, I approached things that way. I was respectful of people's <laughs> times. Uh, I was not that greedy. But it was, it was great. And I knew what I wanted to study. I didn't like when I was 17 coming out of high school and I wanted to, like, I, I, I wanted, I wanted to be a teacher, whether that'll be elementary school teacher, high school teacher. I just wanted to be a teacher. And I went down the, the path of language and, and, and study ESL, but the real core value that I was in for was for the pedagogical classes, the classes about development, about just critical pedagogy and social sciences classes, fundamental elements of the, the philosophy of education. All these classes that right now some of them escape my, but the professors were great. I love my relationship with professors. Mm -hmm. The different thinkers I, I discover, like Paulo Freire from Brazil, who's, you know, rest in peace, long gone, but his book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which is one of the books that that really impacted me from his late writing, it showed me that teaching was about liberation. 
and the liberation of the oppressed. You know, it isn't just about facts and numbers. It is about the empowerment, you know, the empowerment against those who want to be in power and mm -hmm. who want to basically starve education. And we see that here in Puerto Rico. We see it here as, as the public university, little by little, gets privatized bit by bit. And we see it in other countries too. So, so that, that gave me a lot of enthusiasm for what I was learning and for what I would, for what would be later on my profession, which is now my profession. So during that time, it had a lot to do with my travels and a lot to do with the people I met, the places I'd been. I wanted to create this. If I were to share with you my imaginarium of the things I was thinking about, I wanted to create the classroom space to be a safe space. For kids to know, for kids to know that there was, there, there would be nothing too childish or too unimportant for them to enthusiastically share with the teacher. Aww. So create that culture of you're, you're a full, you're a full human. You're a full human. You're not a human. You're a full human as you are. And even more so the fact that they're so far more in tune, I think with the senses of wonder that are all around us that mm -hmm. we have kind of lost the luster of lies and with our cynical ways. So that's something I really get from the kids, the humor, yeah. transparency, yeah, all yeah. that. And I experienced that in Germany too. So there isn't much of a difference. Yeah, culturally there's differences, but the essence of childhood uh -huh. is there. So far, I, I'm so glad that I, I made that decision of going back to university at its old age. I'm putting it's quotation a, marks. Such, such a Lovely. This is such beautiful ideas. What else do we want to tell people? I think, I think it's a good place to, so to wrap lovely, up. lovely though. It's so lovely. Gracias. I've enjoyed it very, very thoroughly. You know, for anyone who's listening, anyone who's been involved in, given the fact that this is a specific Hillsong connected podcast or just church in general kind of connected. I heard and, that Ben, you said podcast, like an Australian. Ah, see, so there's a little bit of that. And I, I think that Everyone's journey is sacred. Everyone's journey is so sacred. Even for, yes. even, even for students that might be going to Hillsong now, like I don't feel it's my place to, to discourage that. If there is an opening for real conversation to be had, I can have, but I don't think it's my place because no one did it for me. And I don't mean to suggest like, yeah, leave them on to like really horrific traumatic experiences because I, I think a generous, genuine conversation could be had. But not, at least me, I don't feel like it's my place to be proselytizing the other way around. But we are, with this I do want to highlight, we are in a time that, that many things that were going on then, but are now so on the surface that they're very hard to ignore. And they're, they're, very, they're very important things to address of a, an organization as large as this. Silsong, even though it's slowly shrinking, but it's an organization that still has a lot of influence. And there are so many undeniables of the abuse of power, of the abuse of their positions. And I think those things need to be addressed. So if a conversation is odd, there are other options. Of course, if someone wants to study theology or something, there is so much, there are many options, better, way better. But, is it, but I guess my approach is, to say that I'm not going to judge a person if they're going, because I was going that direction. But okay. there are better options. There are better options. And to wrap up, each journey is so sacred. 
speech journey, so it's like wherever it might be at. Like I mentioned before, like to trust the process, to trust the process. And I'm still trying to trust the process. It's always going to, it's like the utopia, no? There's the utopia, as Eduardo Galeano says, you know, you have the utopia over there. You see the utopia in the horizon. Okay, so so you walk towards the utopia, you take five steps towards it, and then the utopia takes 15 steps, and you take 10 steps, and the utopia takes 30 steps. And what is the purpose of this unattainable that you keep on moving forward, and you keep on moving forward? So I think there are the utopias in life that are not about attaining them, but allowing us to keep on moving. And the best is yet to come. <laughs> no, I love it. That's so beautiful. I love yeah. all that. That's it's so cool. It's so cool. I don't have the right words. Which is great. and like you, it is very cool. It's a uh, it's good things to keep there whispering. You, yeah, point. you've given me a lot to think about as well. well so, thank you so much for sharing. With pleasure. All right. So, thank adios. You. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, uh, Tanya, and everyone else who's listening. A pleasure that you take the time to, yep. to listen to us converse. Yeah, wonderful. I hope she's saying. Bye. Adios. You know, I was a little bit distressed by that sarcasm discussion. I mean... What's wrong with sarcasm for breakfast, lunch, and I mean, and I, I don't even know what sarcasm is anymore. I don't even know if I'm joking anymore or not. You spend twenty years looking at these clowns in this circus, and you let me know what's funny. Thank you so much for hanging around and listening in, and. I love all of these first person accounts and there's just so much crossover in history and it's it's just fascinating. And thanks so much to Angel for yeah, sharing so much with us. I asked him, as I do with you know, everyone, what they would like, you know, give me a couple of sentences for a bio so I can you know, what 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 would you what would you like as your bio and um Interestingly, his profession as a teacher doesn't come into it at all. It's really interesting. Around these parts, what do you do and, you know, where do you live is is the hello and how are you of uh, this country. And how says, human, Puerto Rican, critical bed, pedagog, pedagogist. Friend of animals, especially Neruda and Lennon, my two feline buddies. Follower of the gospel of Mr. Rogers. And then he's written a quote. I'm talking to you so right now you are the most important person to me. Our conversation is the most important thing to me right now. And that's a Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers quote. And that's how I always feel about when I say thank you so much for listening. And it's like, wow, you could be doing anything right now. But you've been having this conversation with us, and I love that. Stay very closely tuned to social media. Next weekend should be a big, fun birthday present one. Knocking on, I don't know, heaven's door or wood or whatever works. It's going to be exciting. 
Please be kind to yourselves. People are aware that the 17th of August, which is the verdict for Brian Houston's court case, is coming up. Take it easy. Trauma's a funny, funny game. You don't know quite how it's going to jump up at you like Glenn Close in the bathtub. And fatal attraction, you know, so be kind to other people. You know, you don't know how many Glenn Closes in the bathtubs they've got in their house. And keep leaving Hillsong. You're doing such a great job. Keep it up. And we'll talk soon. Bye.